The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Today we're in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be dealing with verses 8 to 9. According to a new study by the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety, nearly 80% of U.S. drivers expressed significant anger, aggression, aggression, or road rage behind the wheel at least one time this past year. How many of us here today could say this past year, there was one moment of road rage? (laughs) The most alarming findings they suggested is that approximately 8 million U.S. drivers engaged in extreme examples of road rage including purposefully ramming another vehicle or getting out of the car to confront another driver. Family, just FYI, do not get out of the car. Do not do it. It doesn't matter what they did to you. They cut you off, that's fine. Do not get out of the car. Now, you guys have been hearing, Colorado is one of the worst places for getting out of the car and people getting shot. Okay, so just don't do it. You have no idea who you're honking the horn at. Okay, just FYI. Purposely tailgating, they said 51%. Yelling at another driver, 47%. Honking to show annoyance or anger, 45%. Making angry gestures, we can all guess what that is they're talking about here, 33%. And trying to block another vehicle from changing lanes, 25%. One of the study researchers concluded, inconsiderate driving, bad traffic, and the daily stress of life can transform minor frustrations into dangerous road rage. Far too many drivers are losing themselves in the heat of the moment and lashing out in ways that could turn deadly. Family road rage, you can lose your life over it now. Are we really that angry today? Man, are we really that angry? Really, can we really get that malicious today that you would spend the rest of your life in jail because you shot somebody who cut you off in traffic? Rage, anger, malice, family. Not only do we see that anger is not only hazardous to us on the road, but did you know that anger is hazardous even to our Health? Angry, cynical people die young, according to Homemade Magazine. Men who score high for hostility on standard tests are four times more likely to die prematurely than men whose scores are low. Anger's killing you. It's killing us today, family. And there's so much more that comes with that. So much that comes with anger. So much that happens because of anger. In the wake of anger, there is destruction. The smoke of anger is smoldering and it's lingering. A lady once told the great evangelist Billy Sunday, she tried to rationalize her angry outbursts. And she said, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. I blow up. And it's all over. (laughs) Billy Sunday replied, so does a shotgun. And look at all the damage it leaves behind. 
There are many stories, many proverbs, many quips, so many commentaries, so many pictures and paintings, yet anger remains in our culture. According to a new USA Today study, the share of Americans who report feeling angry or irritable has surged from 50% to 60%. A Harvard medical study from uh, uh, starting at 2012 and, and the, the recent findings found that nearly two-thirds of American teens admit to having anger attacks involving the destruction of property, threats of violence, or engaging in violence. In our teenagers' family, teenagers today, breaking stuff, threatening violence, actually engaging in violence. Wow. Some are describing this as America's anger epidemic. One New York uh, news website cited that unemployment, the economy, and those who have work overworking as contributing factors. But we're not only angry. See, this is interesting here. So it talks about how there's a lot of anger, tons of anger in our culture, in our country today. But watch this. We're not only angry, we're also afraid of one another. We're afraid of one another. Four decades reports the Associated Press, a gut-level ingredient of democracy, trust in the other fellow. This has been draining away. These days, only one-third of Americans uh, say that people can be trusted. Half felt that way in 1972. The AP article concludes, 40 years later, a record high of nearly two-thirds says you can't be too careful when dealing with people. So not only is, are we angry in our culture today, but we're afraid. And why are we afraid of other people? Because we can't trust anybody. So when you look at this and you wonder why, it's like, you know, my uncle will say, Shane, you know, our country, I don't know what's going on with our country, but it's literally, we're tearing ourselves apart. Yeah, no wonder. Number one, we're angry. And number two, we can't trust anybody. We can't even trust the people we're supposed to be trusting. We can't even trust the people that we pay to be trustworthy. Anybody from Chicago? <laughs> we can't trust the people we pay to be trusted. Anger and lying. This is a big thing with our country today. Having to deal with people's anger and dealing with people's lying. Hard. Either we do not take it serious or we believe that this has nothing to do with us. Most issues that I have to deal with as a pastor is having to deal with the destruction of anger. It's one of the biggest things I have to counsel all the time is having to help families, help couples, help people put their lives back together because of anger. It's, it's really hard. It's never dealt with. And the thing is, is that we don't deal, we don't, it's not dealt with because we don't follow the scriptures. And the scriptures make it very clear as to what we're supposed to do when there is an angry person. The scriptures make it very clear. We are never, never, ever to rescue an angry person 
because they will never learn and, they will, and you will have to rescue them again. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 19. Proverbs 19, 19. Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. People are angry. They're destructive. They blow things up. What All this kind of stuff. They have to pay the penalty. And it says here, if you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. They don't learn. They never learn. And that's, and that's what we're doing. And so it's like I'll, I'll counsel individuals and they'll be just like, well, you know, this, she's, this person is just an angry person and, and I've just, I basically spent my entire life cleaning up after the person. I just, Pastor Shane, I just don't know why they don't change. Do you want to know why they don't change? Because you're cleaning up after them. You know what I'm saying? It just, yeah, I just, there was, there was, there was one moment, one couple, the, the husband, like, like literally uh, physically assaulted his wife and the police were called because of all the screaming, yelling and the banging and all of that stuff that happened, right? And so, you know, uh, the, the cops came and he physically, like, like blood and everything on her face. And when the cops came, I was just like, well, yeah, do you take him to jail? No, that's not what happened. Do you know what she did? She lied and said that she fell down the stairs. We don't rescue angry people. That's what the Bible says. We don't. We're not to bail them out, but we do. And do you know why we do? <laughs> do you know why we do it? Because... Do you know what will happen to you if you don't rescue the angry person? They're going to get angry at you. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but especially for me, especially my family, my culture even, you could even say, we don't like conflict. Man, I don't like conflict. So I'd rather just rescue the individual so that there's just no conflict. We take the easy way out. So much comes with this. It's all condemned in the scriptures. We are not to have this behavior in our lives. Did you know that we are supposed to put these things away? We're not supposed to have anger. We're not supposed to have rage. We're not supposed to have malice. We're not supposed to have lying in our lives. These are not hallmark characteristics in the church. We are dead to this world and we are not to display these characteristics. Can we do it? Because some people will actually say, you know what, Shane? I get angry and I can't help it. And so, you know, an individual makes me angry. I can't help it. It rises up in me and I just start yelling at the person. I said, does your boss at work, does he ever make you angry? Oh yeah, he makes me angry all the time. Why, why aren't you yelling at him and punching him in the face? Well, I don't know what you mean by that. What I'm saying is you can control yourself. You prove it every day at work. The reality is, is that you say you cannot control your anger. No, the reality is you can control it. You've just decided not to control it in this situation. Oh, yeah, we won't assault our boss, but we'll assault our spouse. My best friend in the whole world? Huh. The 
The scriptures declare it. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For if you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you continue to help us to walk in step with the truth of the gospel. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes today, the first thing we're going to look at is the need for us to rid ourselves of anger and its effects. The second thing we're going to look at is making sure that we're not lying to each other. And finally, we will see the reality of, the sin, of our sin nature and how we can be saved from it. Our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose control in anger and its effects, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will cause us to live in peace that transcends all understanding and have victory over sin. So point number one, the trifecta of malice and its consequences. The trifecta of malice. So just a little bit of context. Remember, Paul underscores how vital it is for a Christian to deal with sin in their lives by reminding us that sinful behavior is a hallmark of our past life and the life that we left behind. So remember, Christian, that's what happened, right? I mean, if we say that we are disciples of Christ and we're walking and all of a sudden this is a moment where we become disciples of Christ, where we are forgiven of our sins, where we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, where we're filled with the Spirit, where we're baptized with the Spirit, where we're baptized in the, in the ordinances of the church, where God has changed us, God has transformed us, God is renewing our minds. All of these things, and being covered with the blood of Christ, all of these things happen to us as Christians. Don't you think that something should look different? Right? If all of these things happen, especially that one thing, where God gives us the Holy Spirit. Now you as a Christian, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Just that right there. Individuals should be looking at you, walking up to you and saying, there's something different about you. Is it in my hair? I want people to see the Spirit of God at work in our lives, right? Sinful behavior is a hallmark of our past life. This is what we used to do. It's not what we do today. It's what we used to do. It's not what we do today. And here's the second thing Paul wants to underscore. That sinful behavior is a hallmark of our past life, that the life that we left behind, and number two, that God's wrath will fall on people who engage in that behavior. So that's your past life. This is not who you are anymore. And do you know that people that continue to do the stuff that you used to do in your past life, that God, his wrath is coming for them? Whoa. See, this is serious. Here in Colossians, it's really serious for us to really see this. And, and the anger and the lying, especially in our culture today, we just don't see how serious it is. I just, I feel like that. Like, we just don't see it. 
Like people can get angry, people can get destructive, people can hit, destroy, all these types of things and don't feel like there's any consequences for them. Maybe because there isn't any. And the lying, man, it's just anymore. It's just, you know, when, when people slap on their, there's the sticker on stuff that says 100% satisfaction guarantee. That is one of the biggest lies in our culture today. Looks to me, Shane, like you're 99.9% satisfied. Yeah, I know. But you said 100% satisfied. Oh, that's not a lie? <laughs> I mean, it's just everywhere. There's just lies everywhere, right? But, and, and so family, what it does is it creates chaos. It creates destruction. It creates fear, unrest, everything. There's, there's a sociologist a sociologist that, that came out and said, what we have not seen in the 21st century yet is our great leader. So in every century, throughout all of history, you've seen a great leader rise up. In the 21st century, we haven't seen the great leader yet. You know, I know some people might disagree and all this kind of stuff. But he says one of, this, one of the things this great leader is going to need to do it's gonna, he's going to have to learn, he's going to have to figure out a way to calm everybody down. That's number one. The 21st century leader, the great leader that rises up is going to be the guy that can figure out how to get everybody to chill. <laughs> For real. Think about it. I, I was reading this article. I was blown away by it. Like, For real. Like, just get everybody to chill out? That's going to be huge. So important, the, the understanding of the effects of sin, that Paul uses some very strong verbiage to stop yourself from being in a state or a condition and to do it just like you were just taking off a piece of garment. And what are we supposed to stop? We're supposed to stop anger. We're supposed to stop rage, and we're supposed to stop malice. This is kind of uh, what is referred to as the trifecta of anger. So when Paul is talking about anger, rage, and malice, when you put these words together, it's not necessarily he's trying to signify three specific things. He's actually combining all three to say that this is what I want us to do, using it all interchangeably. But when you put it all together, it makes us see the seriousness of this. Anger, essentially the continuous state of smoldering or seething hatred. Anger. Rage is when this state breaks out in actual angry deeds or words. And malice, a word in the Greek which can simply mean evil, but here in the context and syntax here, probably has the overtone of evil intent to hurt. The scheming, the plan, coming up and figuring out ways to hurt other people because you're angry with them. Family, this is not good. This is not something that you should see in the church. 
Granted, we see it in the world, but not something that we should see in the church. And that's what makes Colossians really important for us to see. This kind of behavior was happening in the first century church. Not the world, the church. And Paul is saying, guys, in the church, stop. Take this off just like you would take off a coat. Get rid of anger. Get rid of rage. Get rid of malice. One commentator says this, when a tide of passion or surge of anger is felt, it must be dealt with as an alien intruder. It, the alien intruder it really is and turned out of the house as having no right to be there at all, let alone be giving you any orders. As soon as you feel anger, as soon as there's rage, as soon as there's malice, you have got to put it off. You've got to let it go. You've got to get rid of it. It can't be in the heart of a Christian because of how damaging this stuff really is. So damaging. Anger, rage, malice, scheming, all of these things, any intent that you have to hurt another person. And why? Because, it can, because of what it can and probably will cause the destructive forces of slander and filthy language. These things are bad. The Bible is pointing this stuff out as being bad. A lot worse than we might think. Jesus showed us how serious slander and filthy language really is. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. So sometimes we might feel like, oh, well, this isn't important. Oh, this doesn't, you know, this doesn't seem like, you know, a bad thing. You know, what's, what's the saying that we like to say? Say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. The Bible is telling us something different about the words that come out of our mouths. I remember used to say that to, to my mom all the time when she'd just be like, well, you know, Ma, they, they called me names. You know, they said some really bad things about, you know, me eating rice every night. I don't know why they say that. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, my mom is always just like, oh, Shane, come on. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. As if it appears in the Bible, right? And you, you hear that and it's just like, mom, no, you don't understand. It hurts. It hurts. You know, and a lot of times you see fights because of what people say. We don't think that our words have consequences. Oh, it absolutely does. A lot worse than we might think. Why? Because, of, because it's what's in the heart. It's, it's really funny. It's really funny. I think my, uh, my jiu-jitsu instructor, or my jiu-jitsu sensei, well, we don't say sensei in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, your professor, uh, he says all, all this stuff. So, um, so my, prof- so, uh, my jiu-jitsu instructor, you know, he's, he's black, he's African-American, and you know, I, I still confuse this to what to say, but all right, we'll just throw them all in. But... It's the, 
It's to, the, the racist jokes, so we were talking about racial jokes, right? And how, how, you know, he's always talking about, you know, Japanese people, and, you know, he's always talking about how, you know, well, you know why we're always eating rice, and, you know, how come we're always on a computer, and, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? And it's like, you know, he's always saying stuff like that. And, yeah, and you know, so, you know, I always talk about, like, yeah, well, you know, then, then well, you know, why do you, why, 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 you know, why do black people do this kind of stuff? You know, like, why is it when, you know, I'm stuck in, at, at a crosswalk, and he's crossing, he starts walking slower. Why does he do that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> so we start talking about all of these kinds of things, and we start making, like, these, these things. But then, and then one individual comes up and says, hey, Shane, you know, the way you guys do, like, the racist thing, but, you know, racial jokes between the two of you guys, he's like, how, how come, you know, that's so funny. None of, neither of you are offended, and nobody around you seems to be really offended by it either. And, and you know, the thing is, is that my f- professor said something that I thought was really interesting. He says, you know why? Because me and Shane, we're friends. We love each other. And this is just us talking about, you know, certain funny things with our culture. He goes, but, he goes, now let me tell you something. I don't like racial jokes. When somebody says a joke, though, a racial joke, sometimes you go, hey, I think you really meant that. That is a perfect example of what, I'm, what Jesus is talking about here. It's in the heart, right? You say stuff and it bothers, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. There was something to that. Yeah, what was it? You just felt their heart that has evil intent or something that they don't like that just came out of their mouth and when the, that word hit you, you felt the sting. This is what Jesus is describing. I, I thought this was a great example of that when he said that. No, no, ah, 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 you meant something. There was something wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, because then, because it's the heart. They felt something. He felt something. Family, this is why this is serious. This is why what Jesus said here is huge. This is why it defiles you. And anger, malice, rage, these things come and it causes us to do a couple of things. Number one, slander. Our Greek word is where we get our word blasphemy. Slander. Hurtful speech intended to defame a person's character. This is awful and one of the worst things you can do to somebody. You know, I remember talking to a friend of mine about you know the, his character, he somebody slandered him and he was having an issue with it, and he he literally said this stuff to me: If this individual is angry with me, I would rather that person punch me in the face than slander me. See, we don't really think, and and we really, I don't know. I just wonder if we really understand the gravity and how deep slander cuts, and how much slander destroys. Let me give you an example. There was a pastor friend of mine. He was candidating for a church. And, and uh, some of the people at the church, they knew him um, and, and actually were involved with his ministry. And so as he's candidating for this church, a woman who he had counseled with her and her husband. Okay, so he counseled this lady and, and, um, his, and her husband and helped them through some marital difficulties that they were having. So they helped them. So he, he candidates for the church. He goes home. Um, that lady, when it was time for them to start to vote to call him as the pastor, that lady came forward 
And she said, you know what? I just wanna, I need to say this. I, me and my husband, we, we counseled with them. Number one, that's supposed to be privileged information. That's number one, right? But anyway, but it's to protect her. So if she wanted to say it, then that's fine. She said that I don't think he's a good choice for a pastor because you have no idea what he put me through. Okay, now watch this. You have no idea what he put me through. And the church was like, whoa, okay. Well, that's really important. We want to honor what you say. Can you tell us what he did? Oh, no. No, I can't tell you what he did. This is exactly how he was, they were saying he was there. She was just like, oh, oh and you know, she looked down. And, oh, gosh, I, I could not begin to even. I would not want to defile this holy place by telling you what he did to me. That's what she did to him, okay? Now, this is, <laughs> the people at the church, again, asked, and she didn't say, so the church decided not to bring him in as the pastor. Then it comes out. Don't know why the church didn't do this, but then it comes out. The church goes and, <laughs> and, goes and finds her husband and confirms with the husband that this guy did nothing wrong. This guy did nothing to her. Everything was fine, and it was then found out that the reason why she was mad at this pastor was because when they did counseling, he seemed to always take my husband's side. So she was angry with him, and she, she, and she went out, and she just slandered this guy. She was angry because he always felt like, she always felt like he sided with the husband and not with her. So I talked with him about that. And, you know, he was just talking about, yeah, she just didn't like it every time I brought up any kind of submission issues or anything like that with husbands being dead. Oh, she didn't like that. And so she always thought I was always on his side. So he said the same thing. Slander ruined that guy for a while till the truth came out. And to the point where he he couldn't even function in ministry because of it. Come to find out that it was all a lie. And the husband said, oh, yeah, he was awesome. He did amazing. He, he was great. Three years later, today, since this happened, three years later, the church still can't find a pastor. And she was, then she went to the church and said that she was upset. And she expressed how angry she was that it was taking so long for the church to find a pastor. And she ended up leaving. Family, slander is horrible. We don't think it's that big of a deal, but we have no idea just how much damage it causes. Just how much damage. You know, and, 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 as, and, and he's a friend of mine, and as I'm, I'm, we're talking about this kind of stuff, it's just like, yeah, we're just guys that are just trying to do the right thing. We're just trying to be honest. We're just trying to, to do things the right way. We're just trying to be good, good servants for God. And yes, sometimes we're going to have to do things that you're not going to like. It just happens that way. It just does. But honestly, we're here and we're trying really hard. And we're not perfect. No, we're not perfect. Well, not at all. But she got so angry with him 
that she just thought she was doing this one small thing just to keep him out of the church and did not realize what she was doing to the church and everybody in it. It's, it's no small thing, family. Slander is no small thing. And then he goes to the next thing, filthy language. Now, there is, there, we've got to get some things clear when it comes to the filthy language part, okay? It's, there's so many different ways that people will describe what he means when he talks about filthy language here. But really, family, the context, let me help us, the context is, I don't even know if this is the right way of doing it, cussing in anger. I know some people say cursing, cursing, cussing. I'm still trying to figure out what the difference really is. Swearing, profanity, and anger, though, okay? So so here's the thing. (laughs) Sometimes, this is not by in any way me trying to say it's okay for you to say bad words. Okay, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for us to say bad words. The context of this, though, is bad words that are said when the individual is angry and you're saying something to hurt the other individual. Abusive language. Okay, some people in certain cultures, that's just part of their vocabulary. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's okay. Okay, please hear me when I say this. I'm not saying it's okay. But you ever talk to a, a, a new Christian sometimes and they come from a very, very uh, Cabrini Green <laughs> background, a Miami background maybe? <laughs> but, you know, just a certain background, they become Christians and it's like, you know, it's just bad words are just part of their vocabulary. They're not using it to hurt anybody. It's just adjectives to them. Just, family, I just, it never ceases to amaze me sometimes. And it's not just, you know, speaking and, and, and language that just comes out, you know. This is language used to inflict injury and hurt upon an individual. This is not the hallmark characteristic of things that should be happening in the church. It is not becoming of a disciple of Christ to talk like this. It's not. It's not. And family, and, and, I, and I've, I've, I've discipled some men who have come from the military. And, you know, and, you know, part of the stuff in the speech, and I'm not saying all military guys are like this. You know what I'm talking about. And they come to the church, and yeah, at first, they're just, you know, beep, beep, beep. You know, it's like I feel like having one of those beeps with me when they're talking, you know. Just, I'll never forget this one Marine. We were building something at the church, and you know he's he's hammering the nail to, to we're trying to hurry, and he missed the nail and he hit his thumb, and he said, "Oh," and I was like, looking at everybody around, everybody's still working and talking, and I was like, <laughs> "That happens," but but here's the thing, he doesn't do it anymore. Man, I tell you what, the Holy Spirit will help you and it will pull you through. And man, there can be transformation. And so today, if you're saying, hey, Shane, that's me, man, I'm struggling with that stuff. I can't do that. You know what? The Holy Spirit will lead you. Trust in him and he will change you. He will transform you. 
According to an AP poll, the use of profanity in American culture is increasing. Nearly 75% of people questioned said they encounter profanity in public either frequently or occasionally. Two-thirds said they think people swear more often than they did 20 years ago. Not surprising, the respondents were more than hearers of word. Word 65% says they use the F word ranging from several times a day to a few times a year. In addition, younger people admit to using bad language more often than older people. They also encounter it more frequently and are less offended by it. The poll showed that 62% of people age 18 to 34 acknowledge swearing in conversation at least a few times a week compared to the 39% of those 35 and older. Swearing is also more pronounced among men. They obviously didn't uh, poll some of the ladies I know. 54% of men swear at least a few times a week compared to 39% of women. This is not to let women off the hook. I got to tell you that there are three instances where I heard the worst profanity coming out of the mouth of a Christian. All three of them, women. It affects everyone, family. Come on. Point number two, we do not lie. And this is as inappropriate as they come. Paul and Timothy want to point out the most inappropriate of all speech. You know what he says? Lying. It's a great sin. One of the seven detestable sins. It is one of the Ten Commandments. And lying in the church is setting, in a church setting is so bad that you could lose your life over it. Just ask Ananias and Sapphira. Paul even warned the church in Ephesus about it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. But here in the book of Colossians, Paul will will refer to the gospel and the faith of Christ as truth. So here's here's something that we've got to understand that I, that we, that I feel like when you when you're putting this all together and you got to make sure that you read scripture in context, always reading in context. If you're doing Greek in syntax, you got to get it right. Dr. Moose suggests that we should see this more specifically. Stop lying to each other with things about the faith and the gospel. See, Paul and Timothy throughout all of Colossians at the beginning was talking about the gospel and the faith, and he referred to it as truth. So it maybe not necessarily directly, but within this context, he's wanting to address the fact that the Colossian church members were lying to each other about the truth in the Bible. Stop lying to us about stuff in the Bible. Stop lying to other people about what the Bible says when it doesn't really say that. Amen. Stop lying to us. This is a serious thing. I think sometimes we feel like, oh, okay, well, you know, the false prophets and the false teaching. Yeah, we, we put that in the category. But regular church members, if we do it, we just chalk it up to, ah, they're just a church member. No, what Paul is saying here is this is serious. This is serious. We do not lie to each other uh, generally, 
But more specifically, we don't lie to each other and tell people things that are not true when it comes to the truth of the gospel. And it's super serious, family. It is a serious thing. And it misleads. And it causes people to behave in certain ways. It causes people to say certain things. And it causes people to believe things about our Lord that's absolutely not true. My cousin was talking about all this stuff. There was something that my cousin, I can't remember what it was, my cousin's talking about this. And, and I'm just like, where in the world did you get that from? What TV evangelist did you listen to? Who told you that crazy thing? Did you see some of this on YouTube? Oh, no. <laughs> it was just the person I go to church with. Wow. I, I think that's a perfect example of what he's talking about here. Stop lying to each other. If you don't know, don't say it. Because we just, we don't know the kind of damage that this stuff causes. It, it, it really causes some, some damage. It's really important. Do, uh, Dr. Moo says, the lying he prohibits is the kind of speaking against the true faith that the false teachers were engaged in. Stop telling other people what these false teachers are teaching. Stop doing it. Don't do it. Stop telling other people these lies. Because you know why I'm telling you, like someone, an individual can, can tell you a lie. Like, you know, hey, if you, you pay me $200, I will mow your lawn, and it's a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you believe that lie, I doc, if you believe that lie, yeah, you're out 200 bucks. False teaching, you believe that lie, you could spend eternity in hell. <laughs> serious. You see what I'm saying? Serious. This is serious stuff. This is why it's important for you to know what you believe and why you believe it. That's why it's probably important that when Pastor Shane's up here preaching that we listen. Maybe take notes. I'm trying to help. Just trying to help you guys. So not only do we need to tell the truth to each other in general, we need to speak the truth of the faith in Christ and speak the truth of the gospel. Anything else is lying to each other. And that's not what we do. But then we have this thing, though, called sin nature. The gospel is the answer. Because you will say, man, Shane, it's hard. You don't understand, man. Anger is really tough for me, man. Rage, it's really hard. Malice is really hard. Lying is really hard. I get it. I, mean, I get sometimes people always ask me, hey, Shane, man, this lying thing, it's really hard sometimes, you know, because I don't want to lie. I don't want to tell people lies, but sometimes I feel like I gotta. I, I get it. I understand what you're trying to say. You know, I, I give you that example, right, about my, you know, my aunt, you know, she just lost my, my uncle died. She just lost my uncle, you know, and, and, you know, so she's sad. She's having a really bad week. We go to the funeral, but before she goes to the, before we show up to the funeral, she goes and gets her hair done. And you see it, and it's hideous. Like you're looking at her going, what did you do to your hair? And she's been having such a hard week. She's just been crying every single day. Went and got her hair done. It looks horrible, but she got her hair done. And she goes up to you and she says, Hey, Shane, do you like my hair? 
I understand. I understand lying. I understand. It's hard. These things are hard, family. And the problem is, is for many of us, it comes natural, right? It comes natural to us. It's part of our nature. It's part of the flesh. Because here's a question. All you parents, many of us, we have children. Did you ever have to teach your kids how to be angry? Did you ever have to teach your kids how to be frustrated and take their anger out on people? Did you ever have to teach them that? Like, no, 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 no. Don't sit there with peace in your heart. This individual just called you a name. Don't just turn the other cheek. Are you out of your mind? You let that, you see that thing that's, in, yeah, you let that fester. You don't teach your kids how to be angry. This stuff is natural. It comes natural to us. Sin nature. I never had to teach my kids how to have anger, how to have rage, how to have malice, how to slander people, how to have filthy language, and how to lie in their heart. Never had to teach them that. For many of us, we've, we've, we've had grown to have found these things to be difficult and it becomes even more difficult. Many will say that it's impossible to overcome this and we fail in our own strength and maybe even worse, we try in our own strength. So this is what I'm talking about, how, why we got to be careful with what it is that we're teaching one another and what we're speaking to one another because sometimes we will say things that's not true about God, not true about the gospel, and you put it in practice thinking that there's nothing wrong with it, but in reality, it's one of the most detestable things that we could do. And here I'm going to close with this. I'm going to tell you this little story. I worked for a company this company that I worked for, and my boss, the head boss, had recently become a Christian. Now, this is at a construction site. So my boss had become a Christian. And, you know, and, and the rest of us, at least on, uh, in, the, in the group in the office, were at least confessing Christian. But we were all in construction, and for the most part, every single person in that office had a potty mouth. Yeah, some of you guys have worked at places like this. But, I mean, every single person. I, I'm not, in, I mean, I'm saying us, but, you know, I, I, that wasn't me. You know, I, my mouth still tastes like soap from what happened when I was growing up. So everyone in construction, most part, they all had a potty mouth. So what my boss decided to do is he goes, hey, I got a great idea. He brings out this gigantic jar, and he calls this the profanity jar. Every time you say a bad word in this office, you put a dollar in that jar. Every time. And when the jar gets full, we'll, we'll all go out to lunch. And, you know, this is how we're going to pay for lunch for us to go. I, I think the jar was full before the week was up. That's how bad it was. And it just, it just full, just boom, dollar in the jar, full. And we go out to lunch, you know, got Chipotle out of this stuff, man. It was great. Filled up several times. And after a while, it took longer and longer to fill up. Now, in the end, the experiment, you know, people will say it was a success. Everyone still had a potty mouth, but it wasn't as bad as it was before. So people will say, you know what? You know, and that's, that's, what, that's what the one individual said. He goes, you know what? 
I understand that we're still having problems, but we're not. It was not as bad as it used to be. And this whole thing that we did, I know God's happy with us. And for the most part, people will be like, yeah, God's happy with this. But here's a problem. Do you know when we do stuff like this, it doesn't make God happy. That thing that we did was more blasphemous and more detestable than anything that we could have done. Shane, what do you mean? This is what I'm talking about. This is why it's really important for us to really understand and pay attention to the gospel. Number one, we have got to understand throughout scripture, God is not impressed, never impressed with anybody in the scriptures trying to keep the law, sanctification, and purity by your own strength. By our own strength. God is not impressed with that. It's basically saying to God, hey God, you know what? When it comes to this issue right here, I got it. I don't need you. I don't need you. I got it. Just stay in heaven. Let the angels feed you your grapes. I got it down here. I got it. God is not impressed with this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. 3. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Your salvation started by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you think you're going to be sanctified and purified and you're going to grow without the Holy Spirit in your life? And we think that that's not blasphemous, that that does not disrespect our God in heaven. And number two, this is the worst part of it all. Here's the worst part of it all. Do you want to know why it started to work? Because people were starting to become more poor. I can't afford to cuss anymore. And, and every time I do and I start talking, I'm not thinking, it's costing me money. And I'm going to I mean, one, one of my friends told me literally like hundreds of dollars he put in there. That's how, much, that's how much he did. And so he was one of the main ones that stopped cussing and all that stuff. How do you think God feels when the motivation for you to be pure is money and not his word? Thank you, Lord. Whoa. I heard a big exhale. Did you guys get that? How do you think God feels? He says, I love you. I sent my son to die on the cross for you, to give you life and life more abundant. I need you to stop cussing. I need you to stop swearing. And we go, eh. But when the God of money comes in and says, hey, I need you to stop cussing or I'm going to go away. What do we do? We stop cussing. We don't obey God the Father, but we obey God the money. You can't have two masters. And so you see what I'm saying? And, and, and God's supposed to look at what we just did as something awesome and amazing? We say, God, we did this for you. No, you didn't. You did this for you. can't obey God's word but take away our money and we go from sailor mouth to angel mouth 
All you got to do is mess with my money. And that's how it is, right, in our culture today. You want to curb somebody's behavior? You want to change things? Mess with their money. Take away their money. Why is it that we can't just obey a God the Father who sent his son to die for us to give us life and life more abundant? I want to obey my father because he's an awesome dad. And I want to obey him because he's just amazing. Take away all my money. Take away everything. Jesus is more than I could ever have hoped for. More. Our motivation is the gospel. This is why it's important for us to hear it every week because our motivation has got to be the gospel. The reality of sin displays the reality of the gospel and the gospel is everything. The words and works of Christ is the hope we have for our lives and our hope is in Christ alone and our hope is in Christ and he is all that we need. He is all that we will ever need. It is all we have and it will be all that we will ever have forever. We can be free today because what Christ has done. Oh, yeah. And when the, chi- the tip jar, or not the tip jar, the profanity jar went away, guess what came back? The profanity. All you did was restrain your sin. Christ wants to redeem your sin. Man, this is absolutely amazing. It's the gospel, the gospel that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. You can have life today and we can be free from all of this. And the promises continue that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All, amen, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is here. It's right here. It's right here available for all of us. You don't, we don't have to make a big deal out of it. Just right there, right where you're sitting. Lord, I am sorry for the things I have done. I am sorry for my anger. I am sorry for my malice. I'm sorry for my rage. I'm sorry for my filthy language. I'm sorry for my slander. Lord, please forgive me. And you know what the Bible says when you do that? It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's all I need to know. That's all I need to hear. Oh, Shane, how do I know that that's true? Because we serve a God that does not lie. You don't need to fear anymore because we serve a God that does not lie. And when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it means he will never leave us nor forsake us. Oh man, putting off the flesh or the sin nature is done by the work of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures. So family, let's let the power of the Holy Spirit and let's see the work that he began, that he promises to finish in us. Let's see it bear fruit in our lives today. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. 
and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.